<laughs> little Matt. <laughs> little uh -huh. Matt. Crap in his pants. Kids these days, they want it all. They just trip, trip and fall. It's always good. It's always good. I'm tired of being knocking. My tired head starts acting And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the M Podcast, where we talk about films, and we talk about comics, and we talk about the occasional TV show, if we've, you know, at the time, which we rarely do, being young, attractive, and successful individuals. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which... Tim, my regular co-host, is obviously here. How are you today, Tim? Oh, man, I'm so good. It's it's so nice to talk to you. It's been so long. Yeah, I can't. When was the last time about 20, 23 hours ago? 22 like hours ago? Yeah. 22 hours ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look older. What are you I know. There? I feel older. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm yeah. good. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm good, mate. I'm good. We had a bit of a wobble last night, but we'll but we'll get into that when we start talking about the subject matter at hand. Which, by the way, people probably should have said this before I introduced him. What we're doing today is continuing with our series of the breakdown of James Gunn's DCU slate. And today it's the first part of Grant Morrison's Batman. Yeah, and this is going to be another mini-series within the mini-series, so there's going to be three parts to this. And there's a playlist if you've missed Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, if you've met all shit Superman. <laughs> oh, <laughs> stop <God>. Seriously. <laughs> three episodes on Animal Swamp Thing. And yeah, so we have Batman, and we're going to hopefully clear it up with the authority by the end of the year. But... You might have noticed we have part of the Empod family, a little chuckle monster that is above me on the Zoom meeting. Everybody, it's going to be a saucy one. It's Tara. <laughs> hey, good to be with you guys. Missed you so much. Yeah, it's up? a pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel the energy, Tara. I'm feeling the mutual <laughs> adoration. It's always a gift to have you on the show. Well, it's definitely my pleasure to be here so good to see well, you both too not a competition <laughs> <laughs> no i'm having more pleasure again. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. that made me laugh right there oh. <laughs> not a competition oh this is either going to be the best or the worst episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything anybody wants to share before we get down into the weedy weeds. That was two shrugs <laughs> for anyone that isn't in the room with me while we were recording. Okay. Grandma Morrison's Batman. Okay, here's a good question. Tim, how yeah. fluent are you with the character Batman? Obviously, a pop culture icon. 
and a mainstay yeah. of the theatrical release. I'm very familiar with all the screen versions, okay, from the animated to the Michael Keaton through the Christopher Nolan, all that stuff. All right, so I'm good with those. As far as the comics are concerned, I've read the Neil Adams stuff from yeah. way back with various writers, much of New 52. Yep. And this. So that's it. There are huge periods of Batman comics that I'm unaware of. How much of New 52 have you read? Did you read the full slate where you, you went to Batman and Robin, Batman Incorporated, uh, no. Detective Comics? Just nope. this, just this Snyder computer. Yeah. I would say I didn't realize that this is almost prologue to New 52. I didn't realize they were so close to each other. And Graham Morrison did a 10, 11 issue of Batman and Robin, and then Tomasi Gleason picked that up. So it's really interesting for me because I went on a massive New 52 jaunt. I bought any recommendations and a lot of the main, the main runs. And I absolutely fell in love with the character of Batman because, again, aware of it in pop culture, it's been, it feels like it's been omnipresent throughout my life, really. One of the first times I, went to, I can remember going to the cinema with my dad was to watch the Michael Keaton Batman. And I was terrified because I was underage. And I was snuck in and yeah, I was being teased that the guy with, that was coming in with a flashlight was coming for me. And I was terrified to, I was shaking in my seat, mate. <laughs> little Matt. <laughs> little Aww. Matt, crapping his pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know if I enjoyed the, enjoyed the film, but I said he didn't enjoy the experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. But... I'm always excited to read more Batman. And this project's been great because it's a lot of the stuff that was on the shelf, like the three absolutes, the swamp thing, and these three omnibuses, I've just had knocking around for ages. Yep. And it's always something that because of my completeness with omnibuses over a couple of years, I'm just completely overwhelmed with, I don't know what to read next. So I'll end up just buying another trade because it's a little bit easier than, you know, maybe starting Claremont's X-Men or maybe... Yeah, starting either of those two or mm -hmm. or Moon Knight. I've got three Moon Knight on the buses, or maybe even four actually. And these are things I've bought almost for completeness sake. And yeah, it's been a delight to read to pick this up finally. So I think my experience is much to the same effect as yours, but maybe just a little bit wider. And that's why when I first picked this up, I was like, wow, this is these are all the questions that I was asking when I was reading that but mm. I wasn't aware that we're just all nicely kept together. <laughs> yeah. You read Beyond the New 52 to Rebirth and all that? No, I haven't. And I know we've, we've talked about this on the pod before, probably two or three times, but I read Tom King's Vision and yep. I was like, oh, well, let's see what his Batman's like. I went into the shop and the guy said, well, have you read Snyder's? I went, I have not read Snyder's. And he basically said, well, start there and then carry on through. Of course, then mm -hmm. I got completely locked into New 52. And yeah. yeah, that's basically it. But yeah. Tara, baby, what's your Batman experience? Well, I, I fall at the bottom of the pyramid here. <laughs> so yeah, my knowledge of the, the film universe is greater than my knowledge of the written one. And I had a similar experience to you guys in that I didn't know all the answers to my questions were right in this book until, <laughs> until I was in the midst of it. So this is, yeah, my first big dig into reading. I'm looking forward to the rest of it with you guys. 
Mm, right on. I think one of the questions that we should have been asking on the other episode, so if I forget to ask at the end of the episode, if we're not in too much of a rush, I think the question we should be asking on theme is how well and do you think how much of these stories will be adapted indeed into the films? Where we should have been going with all the episodes, but it's not too late to start. You know what they say, Tim? The best time to do something is yesterday and the second best is today. Oh, I love that saying. <laughs> I'm gonna I like use that. that. Yeah. 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 Jackie. Friday. Shiver me timbers. <laughs> oh, oh, Tim, you're Man, such I'm, a lovely I'm, old cunt. I'm, I'm getting this morning. <laughs> Oh, I think we all are. It's time. She brings like the. She makes us <laughs> giddy. <laughs> that must be it. Yeah. Alrighty then. So, first impressions, Tara. How did you enjoy this? In brief summary. Well, I'm probably going to be briefer than you want me to. <laughs> My first impression, first of all, was compelling. So it was not a difficult thing. Like I didn't stop and check how much there was left. All the time yeah, yeah like i have on some omnibuses that shall remain nameless and i also just kept feeling like i was in the midst of a fever dream when i tried to put everything together so i'll, I'll save more of that for later but we just but did you enjoy it oh i definitely enjoyed it yeah good 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 because i'd hate for you to waste you know your, your precious <laughs> leisure time on some old shit that i've told you to read <laughs> <laughs> tim do you want to break the bad news to the listeners yeah 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 okay guys so <laughs> for transparency's sake i only got through like three quarters of this um due to i was gonna finish it today but then my kid woke up and blah 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 I got up to so the end of this volume i think i don't know if there's anything beyond batman r.i.p in this volume but I got basically know, up yeah. to that point. So I read about two thirds or three quarters of this. And I have to say, like, I, it's hard for me to separate that just because All-Star Superman was so recent mm. that we read that, it's hard for me to separate my thoughts on that from my thoughts on this. I thought, I went in this with a little bit of trepidation. Having hated that, I'm seeing these three volumes, these three huge volumes <laughs> on my shelf, thinking like, oh man, have I just wasted like whatever amount of money and time on something that's going to, I'm just not going to read. I would never read three omni volumes of that fucking story, right? I would <laughs> just give it This story is fucking awesome. I love oh, this. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, so good. So this good. is probably the best. And like I said, I'm not that schooled in Batman. The Neil Adams stuff, for instance, is not like thematically linked. It's, they just didn't write them like that at that point. They're like one-off adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The core battle stuff is great, but this is maybe my favorite Batman story I've ever read thus far. It's so good. Your description, Tara, of it being like a fever dream, mm-hmm. I completely get that. It is like very compelling material. Picking I'm up sorry, on that, Tim, which isn't something I intentionally noticed until you said it, the way that Grant Morrison approached this is he wanted to make, because the problem with the comic and the character is the law is so capricious and undermining and what's canon and what isn't canon. Grant Morrison said, because they had a very nice line drawn after Infinity Crisis, he went, okay, Mm -hmm. at this point, everything's canon. 
So in the way that All-Star Superman wanted to, there's a lot of little winks, like the, um, what they call, the, the Superhero Club or whatever. That's from a, oh, yeah. that's mm-hmm. taken from a 1955 Silver Age comic team. Like in the way story. it referenced Barbara Gordon being shot and all these sorts I of saw things. that. It pulls from all the different lore. And I've got a quote here, and I think I botched writing it down. Um, so he says, in his instinct, everything written was biographical. From the savage, from the young pulp-flavoured weird figure of the dark of his early years, through the smiling parental figure of the 1940s to the paranoid soldier of the 90s. The multifaceted character that revealed became the subject of my story. Mm. Now, that's almost your mission statement. I don't know if he'd read everything because of this or he just loved Batman and he had, but there is a real sense of this commitment to bringing all these ages into Batman. And it's best shown and you're quite right, Tim, in the superhero club, in the way that yeah. Batman and Robin were still drawn quite painfully, but the rest of them were sort of pitched as almost cartoon characters. It's attention to detail, whereas I felt All-Star Superman was kind of smothered in details, if you know what I mean. Yes, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Like, that was overwhelmed and, like... Everything was so thick in that one, but not in a pleasurable way. This one is... is I trust you that there's so many callbacks. Like I don't see them yet because I haven't read a lot of that stuff. But it's light on its feet. It's deep, but it's also light on its feet. I loved this volume. And I love that Club of Superheroes story. What a fucking story. Oh, it's so good. It was like an Agatha Christie who done I it. I know. It did feel yeah. like that. And, yeah. you, and you genuinely, you didn't know who it was. It was so yeah. carefully crafted. Um, and the whole... Okay. <laughs> so back backpedaling for just a little bit before we get into the details. When I first started reading it, I thought, oh, it's a calm Grant Morrison story. He's telling very superhero, but yet very good, very insightful to the character, superhero almost vignettes, just one following the next. And I was thinking, this is this doesn't feel very Grant Morrison to me. This is very literal good guys and bad guys and then in the last story tim is it the death of batman or batman mm-hmm. rest in peace or whatever it is oh you sod i was so mistaken to how i thought this was just one story and another i've heard people say this about hickman you just have to trust him obviously nobody yeah. trusts him after the great fucking x-men swindle <laughs> yeah <laughs> man that's the first, <laughs> can I just add as a, as a footnote? That's the first time I bought it. That, buying all that stuff is, I bought it because I had heard that so many times and I yeah, burned yeah. so badly. Yeah. But he just, he pulls <laughs> it all together, just sent all these tendrils out into the world and he's pulled back all this <laughs> swagging and feed for our creative imagination. And I honestly, page to page, I was like, I can't believe he's done this. I was enjoying it, but then that those last seven issues. Oh man, so, so I haven't so, even read that stuff, and that so, and I already love it. Can we and watch you read it? Kinky so, <laughs> <laughs> <can't keep> fucker. <laughs> I'll set up. I can tell you guys. I'll set up an OnlyFans, and anybody can watch me read it. 
I will pay. Yeah, but you'll have to have your willy out, though. You do realise that, you know? <laughs> do you like the Chip Zdarsky pictures we did at the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> oh, man. But you did the first one as well, didn't you? You were the pioneer of the nudie pick. Um, no, no. Um, no, that was Joe. Oh, that was it Jeff. really? Yeah. yeah. I could just imagine you running into the other room. Amy, Amy, <laughs> quick. Oh, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you're trying to get your knickers off. You're trying to get your boxes <laughs> off. And then you're penguining and stuff. You stutter a little bit and then you regain your balance. <laughs> Tim, for fuck's sake, are we doing this or not? Get your socks off, you fucking... <laughs> And smile, smile for me. The camera loves you, Tim. The camera (laughs) loves you. Come on, love love the camera back, Tim. (laughs) Come on, Tim. (laughs) So, yeah, so we'll get to it later. We'll arrive at what happened to me in that last story and when we go through it. But to say it was emotional is taking it to a level of understatement it was just up it was confusing perplexing bewildering confusion but all of this was from the intent of the story writing that and okay we'll get into that I'm going into that a little bit too much detail so in terms of the overall things there was a big prominence of father and son relationships because obviously Damian Wayne's introduced and then the way that the black mask, no, it's a black glove, isn't it? The black glove at the end where he imposes himself as Thomas Wayne because somehow he gets his cloak and his mask from what's it, some kind of ball or something like that. Was it something to do with his death or something? I, I can't remember. There's some kind I'm of masquerade. Sure. And it's not even this sort of presence of family because it also inspects, there's a real heavy presence of all the other three Robins in this. And it's kind mm-hmm. of what the father role meant to each of those and how it dissected how even with well intentions you can disappoint and how do you deal with sibling rivalry like with him as the father as his relationship with his father and and indeed what his father meant to to other people we've said that before well i've at least said that before about joker it's about the perception is how we perceive things as opposed to a literal on the nose inspection of mental health and i think this was almost as sophisticated an approach to how important POV is. I mean, I think I've said this on the pod again before, but if you think of every single person that knows you has a different idea of who you are. Mm. Everybody has a different Matt, a different Tara, a different Tim, Mm. because you you are. It's such a sophisticated way of writing and, not just the storytelling, but how it entwines these things in almost in an uncanny way. I couldn't agree with that more. And the overarching theme of this is, you know, definitely Matt, like you said, like about family, the relationship between father and son. So I saw it's like the family you have and the family you make. One of the great things about this character is its relationship with Alfred. And yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so good. And that kind of family. And then, of course, with Tim. So, you have the family that you adopt or make and develop over time. The conflict between those two, especially when they first introduced Damien. And Damien, mm-hmm. and Tim try, does his best. I mean, he's older. But he does his best to take Damien into the, into the group, into the family. And Damien just like freaks out. That conflict between those two, the family you make and the family you have, is 
what I thought was like very rich. And the comic throughout expresses the kind of vulnerability, like you have insights into the Batman's and Bruce Wayne's vulnerabilities that I think are that were just very subtle and lovely. So I, I thought it was just great. And it was like a very psychological and a very true to life thematic posture throughout. Yeah, very much. And it has those cruel reflections as well in the three ghosts of Batman. And mm-hmm. again, the way that the Thomas Wayne persona was adopted later on in the in the first omnibus. And it's kind of based around that fundamental trauma and the blame that he might harbour. And he's kind of, in a way with Damien, he's faced with his own demon. Mm-hmm. I think I would add to that too, that um, a lot of times when we think about family of choice versus family of origin, the, the mm-hmm. two things that are pitted against one another, we tend to think of them as either or sometimes when we talk mm-hmm. about them, like yeah, if you yeah. don't have a family of origin, but he has both and the, mm-hmm. the clash. Yeah. So the dynamic there was fascinating to me too. Like you said, Tim trying to make room for Damien, trying to respect him, but at the same time, hold his ground and the stuff that came back about how much Alfred was a dad to him too. I thought, yeah. I don't know. I felt like it, yeah, it brought a lot of themes home that I felt like I was picking up along the way, but now I see where they came from directly. If yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. yeah. Yeah. Did and you guys, uh, is this the first, he, did Morrison create Damian Wayne? Is this the first appearance? Yeah. His origin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's very much Grant Morrison. In actual fact, it comes from a four part um, mini that Grant Morrison did. I don't know the year, I probably should have looked it up, but it's called Son of the Demon, and it was a four-issue run. And that was when he concubines with uh, Talia al yeah. And there's a really funny scene. There's this, only the way that the, would it have been maybe 90s? I, I don't know. But there was this elaborate four-poster bed with this silk sheets hanging from the top. And he yeah. stood there, right? He's got his mask on in his cape. <laughs> And then he bollocked her all the way down except for his front. So I'm just looking at going, this is preposterous. (laughs) I wanted to ask something about that because when Talia, when he gets together with Talia, when she's dropping Damien off, she refers to like that night when he was conceived and Batman's like, what do you mean the night that you drugged me? And so was he raped in the actual story? What I took from that, because she followed it up, me and you both know what happened sort of thing. Yeah, As if okay. to say, maybe, maybe he'd had a little bit too much to drink, but you were kind, okay, of, put, okay, you were kind okay. of putting the moves on sort of thing. Yeah, one of those sorts of situations. Got, Which, got it, okay. of course, I'm not saying is right. <laughs> yeah. But, I'm I mean, just it, saying, I don't think it was straightforward. Because, I mean, I don't know if anybody's been a cocaine addict, but I would dare anybody to try and get a stiffy when you've had <laughs> when you've had a beak full of bugle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, now that's got to be the cold open. Cold open. Yeah, well, yeah, this I is mean, so hard to choose. We'll get more onto that in a minute. <laughs> well, we. What are your general impressions of Damian Wayne? Because I've always liked him as a little shitbag of a character and the way that he he pushes Batman, but at the same time, he... And we've seen it in this as well, that he really wants Batman's approval, but Mm -hmm. he's just not very good at doing what he's told. I really like the character. 
Yeah, I thought he was cool. He's a little gadfly asshole and buzzing around. And he's a good way of illustrating the scope of Bat and the limits of Batman's patience, you know? Like he's yeah, so yeah. patient with them. And that one scene where Damien like throws his beautiful dinner against the wall. <laughs> and like Batman's like, well, it's better if you eat it off the plate. Whatever the joke, he quips about it. But at a certain point, like he just sits him down and it lords over him and screams at him, like, what the fuck? Like you almost killed Tim or whatever. So you can see the yeah, limit yeah. again, like Damien's introduction is he's an interesting character in and of himself, but he does his introduction shows more of Batman's character as well. So I thought that I, yeah. I thought he's I like him. I like all the scenes he's in. He just like fucking yeah. cuts a guy's head off at one point. I was gonna say yeah. he, he follows Batman out at one point and he just like that's it. That guy's never gonna commit more crime. And he's yeah. so proud as well when he's yeah. like, Dad, oh, yeah. Dad, Dad, I got him. He's like he brings the head home, like yeah, and he's like Whose yeah. fucking head is that? And he went, <laughs> the criminals. <laughs> and yeah. he's like waiting for the pat on the head. Well done, boy. But he's like, no. But he's yeah. like, heads up. But going to when Talia Al rocks up with him, I can just imagine that feeling. It's like when you get, it's like when you get a text from a hookup like six months later and you're like, this is not going to be a good text message. And then you open it. <laughs> oh, no. think, well, she's either lonely horny or there's a big problem afoot <laughs> <laughs> oh thank god for that thank god for oh. that she's she's just found my socks oh thank goodness which probably <laughs> means she's horny and lonely <laughs> but he, he's just he doesn't even debate it she just rocks up with a kid and he goes yeah that probably makes a lot of sense in actual fact checks yeah. out <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> Uh, did anybody yeah. feel like he was sort of all impulse i felt like damien was all impulse and that was such a good counterpoint for all the control batman tries to exert yeah over himself. Totally. i totally. think so but i think he's testing boundaries and i think oh yeah when i say testing boundaries i don't think it's to the extent of a child seeing how far he can push the limits of his parents, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to find out what the limits are of the legendary Batman. He's exactly. trying to find, come on, Batman, you're my dad. I want to see what Batman is. So he's really trying to push him to, to see how much of a Batman he actually is. And mm -hmm. almost for his own satisfaction of, yeah, that's, that's my dad sort of thing. He's trying to almost produce a moment of pride when Batman does explode out of, he's cowed. Like he is, yeah, he's chasing, yeah, yeah. you know? So, and he yeah. uses, what would your masters tell you about the lack of control that you have? Have you wasted your master's time mm -hmm. or like all the training or the monks that's or whatever, what, whatever he does? And then that's when he's like, yeah, no, no. I need to show you that I am a reliable warrior. I can listen to instruction. I can fall into line when it matters. So yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Cause I wasn't expecting that to happen. I thought they were going to, make Batman like a bit of a pushover and then everybody else was going to be like, look, your kid's taking the piss, basically. You need to get him under control because it's affecting all of us. But within an issue, boom, Batman's like, look, don't fuck. Yeah, right, totally. While we're talking about Damian Wayne, I almost <laughs> said Wade. <laughs> oh, is that what happened? <laughs> so, uh, Damian, what we're talking about, issue 666, which was confusing as fuck at first because I didn't realize it was in the future. And I was like, is there a... Because there's all these other Batmans running around anyway, like these imposters, the three ghosts of Batman. 
And then it just jolts you into the future. And it didn't, it took me until the last few pages to realize it's a prophetic vision of Damian Wayne as Batman, where he's basically controlling Gotham with fear and brute force. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I picked up on that a little earlier. I'm not sure why, like what the clues were, whether I, I don't know, but yeah, that was interesting too, because it asked the question like what could what could have happened to create this event where not only he's Batman, but has is performing Batman in this particular way, you know? So I thought that was like an interesting sort of prophecy. When he holds Batman to such a high regard, and he is a superhero, but ultimately he is still human, although I theoretically disagree with that. I would say Batman's the most overpowered superhero because he has the ability to do literally anything. And even if you look at it in the literal canon, the ability to learn and withhold information over such a short amount of time to become master detective, master martial artist in multiple disciplines over a three to five year period. That's a superhuman ability to restore and replicate information in action. So I know he is not powered, but I think there is a point by which you can reconcile the fact that he probably is in some way. Like in yeah. the way that Hawkeye's aim is kind of attributed him to being a little bit of a mutant because mm. he's kind of affected, was it the... What was it the M cloud or something like that? Or there was a gas release once in New York and it was affecting mutants and he he was woozy and couldn't shoot straight. So it's kind of implied that Hawkeye is maybe a bit of a mutant sort of thing. So I think it's on that sort of precipice. It was almost as if that was really the start of Morrison's new continuity as well that wasn't referential in any way. Hmm. Did you read the pages of prose with the clown king or whatever no whatever. i was gonna do that i, I was gonna do that come back and do it at the end I, was, yeah, I, I thought if i have time i will do but it was so fucking long as well yeah I, that part uh, was painful and i had no interest again i, I asked chat gcp i said if i don't read this is it going to affect the overall run it does give you more depth to the character and understanding of the roles of batman and joker but it is canonically unimportant to the rest of the run Okay, but does it reoccur at any point? Am I going to miss anything? And it sort of gave me the same shit. I was like, okay, that's enough. I'll take that as a no. And you've doubled yeah. down. Thank you. <laughs> so, Tara, the death of Batman, the concluding part. Yes. I was quite confused by it, and I think it was intentional because I think there was a dramatic irony to Bruce Wayne's confusion. Now, to paint the picture, Bruce Wayne has been suspecting that there's this black glove society that are controlling a lot of recent events and it's almost like it's sending him crazy trying to see significance and meaning in uh, is it what's it called uh, you mean when you see patterns where there aren't any patterns apophenia right that word yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And see? the term was coined by 1958 in 1958 by German neurologist Klaus Conrad. Klaus also a Grant Morrison story. So I feel like there was a beautiful reflection there. There you go. So we sort of suspect that it's apophenia, whereas there is maybe something there, but it's very clever in the way that it conceals the black gloves' actions. Batman's 
only trying to find clues in the events that we've read, whereas you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. It's very patient with its storytelling, and it allows us to ask the questions of, is he losing his mind, or is there something more afoot? And with the way that, who's the Robin before Damien gets there? Tim. The third Robin. Tim Drake. Tim Drake, Tim, Tim Drake, yeah. So Tim, <laughs> Tim Drake's sort of having problems, and Dick's off doing his own thing. He's just about to join Teen Titans, and he's kind of isolated, and Alfred being Alfred is reassuring him. And there's actually a really nice scene where Tim Drake says to him, is he losing his mind? And Alfred just mm-hmm. turns around and says, you have no, if you ask me that question, you have no idea what this man is capable of. Mentally, physically, what he is capable of. And the way that they see it is really clever because he does this, is it Tarun or something like that, where he, he isolates himself. And, um, oh, yeah. You know, a completely, what's it called, like desensitized tank. What's it called? Sensory deprivation chamber. That's it. Yeah, exactly. But he does it for forty days, and there's a there's a precursor to that that he did it for ten days previously, and he lost his mind a little bit. So there's all these things that the characters are doubting him, or they want to know what's going on. In the same way that we are, it almost draws you into the comic. So this arc starts with him quite abruptly splits the character into two. Bruce Wayne's been drugged and he's been left on the street. And then there's this Zoran R, Batman. And Zoran R is, it's kind of like the Winter Soldier. It's words where Batman can repress Bruce Wayne to become a full unbridled Batman without the hesitation of Bruce Wayne. But Bruce Wayne at the same time, it was playing them contemporaneously. So you weren't sure because of the three ghosts of Batman and the imitations that have happened earlier. You didn't know if this was another quasi Batman. And the scene that fucked me up and started to me having an anxiety attack, and I'll be a bit more serious. When Bruce Wayne's staggering around the streets and he's vomiting and he's disorientated, I've never seen the depiction of what, like on TV, and now I've, I've not been able to watch, what's the one with? Mrs. Tom Holland, Zendaya. You like it, Tim? Oh, Euphoria. Oh, Euphoria. Can't watch. Can't watch it. It's too. It's yeah. too close to home. I can't. Yeah. It makes. It makes me like want to just step back and I. Because I, 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 it, I, I can't help but feel all that hor- horribleness again. And when yeah. I was reading and watching Bruce Wayne staggering and and disorientated and the clumsiness and the embarrassment and he can't work out who he is and just basically. He's fucking ruined. And I'm starting to get anxious because it's giving me like a bit of a shame mm. spiral. I'm getting mm. anxious. And the whole story's written to be disorientated. And I had an anxiety, like a proper anxiety. I couldn't get to sleep that night hours later. It was that, it was, it, honestly, I've never seen writing like it. And the way that you don't know if he's hallucinating things and he's speaking to sort of people and you can't work out if they're bad actors and they're just part of this machination and then he ends up at the dock he's told to go down the docks and and then at the very end there's just a bloke that's like this will sort you out and he's got this little like balloon that's wrapped up and obviously it's just got more drugs in and i'm like oh my god this is just i can't because i I, I knew i knew at that point i'm like 
that will make you feel better, Bruce, but don't do it. It's worse yeah. in the long run, mate. Don't. And, and it's left so you don't know. And then it almost mm-hmm. completely focuses on the Zorinar Batman. And who was the guy from Swamp Thing? Was it Etigan? Yeah, Etrigan, yep. Etrigan the Demon. His Batman mm-hmm. suit's a lot like Etrigan the Demon. It's mm-hmm. red and it's yellow, and he has still has the cowl and the, and the black cape. And he's been bridled. And the whole machination, there's this underground society, but not for the betterment of Gotham through force, like the Court of Owls were in Snyder, but it was for the entertainment in a kind of hostile or taken kind of way, where they're basically ruining people, this high society, this dark table of five of the deep state people of Gotham, and they're betting on whether Batman can escape. And again, the foreshadowing of Alfred saying, if you you have to ask that question, you don't know what he's capable of. They break Joker out of Arkham. And obviously, you don't trust the skinny white prince. And he obviously fucks with them. He's just enjoying the, the whole sequence of events and being able to fuck with everybody. And Joker, they basically bury Batman alive and he has was it a minute three minutes 30 seconds to get out and the joker re-emphasizes if you think that he's not going to get out of that coffin then you don't know what he's capable of mm-hmm. and all the little tendrils are just being brought back into this cacophonous conclusion to the story it, despite the fact it fucked me up emotionally <laughs> I couldn't sleep <laughs> it was perfect it was precision perfect, Tim. Oh, How silly I, do you feel now? How silly oh. do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> I've been children. Look at me, child-free, single and miserable. <laughs> oh, dude. Four... <laughs> Believe me, at 4.30 a.m., and I, I was thinking that very thing. I was imagining the two of you guys <laughs> in a nice, comfy chair in a well-lit room <laughs> with like a little fire going, reading your volume. And I'm like, motherfucker. Just go to fucking bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I can't wait to read the story. Now, the advantage is I'm the only one who, ha- who has this to read for the first time still. So that is a little like excitement for me. I got to read this like today. Oh, I got to. Oh, it's, it's it, yeah, it's so good, so good. Yeah, it's, it was it was quite something, Tim. Tara, baby. (laughs) How, if at all, and how well, do you think this could be adapted into a theatrical experience? I think it depends on whose hands it's in, whether it's adaptable, because it's difficult. Um, I want to say yes, just because it seems like too much to leave on the table compared to the stuff that they've explored in the films. But there may be a very good reason that they haven't. I definitely think the stuff we were talking about with surrogate fathers and sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That part, yeah. But I don't know whether they could do the part that felt the most feverish, the parts that felt the most disturbing. I'm not sure if they could carry it off in film. No, I think it'll be a lot like how Marvel do the Winter Soldier or Civil War. I think there'll be a central crux taken from it. I think thematically it will be the Damian Wayne parts. You can Mm. easily capture the roles of familial patriarchy and what that means and what can it mean and that's true if you kept it on the all the robins 
Yeah, and then, I mean, yeah. we still have two omnibuses to go. I imagine there probably will be a story here that can be summarised quite adroitly. I always struggle yeah, with that word. But yeah, <laughs> is it adroitly? It's adroitly, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. I think it'd be cool if they did the the three Batman story. That would be quite filmable. And yeah, yeah, very much. You so. know, because it and it'd be really fun because it is a mystery. I think it's you know in principle filmable, and it would explore in ways that we only get really little glimpses of in the existing Batman canon. The relationship between Batman and the and Gotham Police that'd be kind of neat. It'd be mm, yeah, yeah, like a pretty right. kind of thing. You could do it in a way. Which wouldn't require to be auteurish. <laughs> auteurish. You could go either way. You know, it didn't. It wouldn't require like um, Batman R.I.P. Would require something mm, an auteur. Art, more like an art film. Oh, I was just thinking, if anyone was able to pull it off, I I can't help but go back to Christopher Nolan. Mm. I think Christopher Nolan's at a point that I see Brubaker in the comics. I feel like I've read his noir, the okay. same noir with different characters, mm. 10 times in a row now. And That's fair. I That's fair. feel that if he wants to be talked about in the same breath as a Lemire, as a Hickman of the modern guys, at least, if he wants to be in that triumvirate, I think he needs to go back to superheroes. Mm. And I think he needs to do one or... He needs to create a very distinct world that is like he did with Kill or Be Killed, where there mm. is, you know, that magical realism as the demonic aspect to it. I think he needs to do something, but that might not be something that bothers him. He might just be happy writing noir for another 20 years and just mm. be known as the noir guy, which, of course, there's nothing wrong with it. I'll keep reading it, but it doesn't mm -hmm. excite me anymore because while the stories aren't predictable, I feel the tone in the execution is becoming predictable. And I feel mm -hmm. with Nolan, if you're always trying to do the unexpected, then you start to expect the unexpected. That's true. I think you make a good point about the magical realism too. I think if they leaned into that more, it would give a lot more room to, to tell the story. Yeah. yeah. Do we have any idea like what the slate of directors that James Gunn has? Oh, there isn't any. Um, there was, okay. There's just James Gunn being the auteurist. Is he uh, going to direct the movies? On, he's doing Superman. He's doing Superman. Okay. In actual right. fact, there's one thing that I didn't pick up on when we were talking about it, and it's just a couple of things in my notes, but Tari's just highlighted. And this is the thing that could be adapted cinematically. It treats the Batman with a dual Cartesian separation from Bruce Wayne and literally and figuratively on the page something we did pick up on the questions the sanity of it all is batman the curse or the cure you know he slayed his demons as he became a, a demon and by the end of it he's forced with his own inspiration for becoming a hero and it sort of again and it closes that loop so i think all those are very cinematic themes um, but specifically the the way that batman's treated with this sort of dual cartesian separation with the magic realism, you could add that into it with that aspect, get to the sort of almost lysergic state and visions that were used in the Deadly Class um, Vegas episode or the Vegas mm -hmm. issue, that kind of thing. And I think that could work very nicely on the big screen or on your phone if you're stealing it. 
Uh, Matt, let me ask you, the Batman R.I.P. story, how does that, in terms of what we read so far, like Supergirl, Alan Moore stuff, how would you feel like that ranks? Um, here's the thing. I'm really hot on it at the minute because I've just read it and I've had a very emotional conclusion to the story. So it's hard for me to speak about it without personal bias because it resonated yeah. that that part of the story. Now... You can't underestimate how good Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow was. Mm -hmm. It was, I was asking myself the question, we were asking ourselves the question when we read it, how good is this? Mm -hmm. And very early on, like, on what strata were we saying it's one of the best of? Yeah. And we couldn't define it, but we knew it was in the high of whatever echelon of whatever determining bracket you wanted to put it on. Now, the difference with this is it's not as enjoyable, but there is a prestige about the way this is written. So, yeah, there's almost a dual Cartesian separation of the two stories, Tim. No, but yeah, it, it's a difficult one. I think I'd probably, I'd say this is up there with the second absolute swamp thing. Okay, um, yeah, that's high. Yeah, high praise. Yeah, I'd say probably nestled just below that, just probably yeah. just below. This is probably more akin to the first. Let's say the enjoyment that we took out of the conclusion to the second absolute, but with some of the the beginning wishy washy stories of the first one that then set the scene. I think mm -hmm. in forms of storytelling, Swamp Thing was better, but this to me was just a lot more illicit. So it's hard to balance, really. I put it in and around the Swamp Thing bracket at this moment. Sounds good. Tara, have you read those stories? The no, I haven't. Okay. Oh, you have to. I have it. It's it's behind me. Actually. Oh, you do, baby. <laughs> you have it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to tell us that. We're in your company. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, so I think that's about it, isn't it? That's about I it. Think so. Yeah, would you recommend it? Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. It. One handy P. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Little in joke there. Little yeah. in joke for the if people you know, actually you know. on the podcast. Right. I guess if you've made it this far. Oh, which, by the way, thank you, Brussels and Ashburn. <laughs> yeah, Brussels and Ashburn, we love you. I feel that was a good episode. I really enjoyed yeah. that. Thank you for joining me both. Oh, my pleasure, as always. <laughs> Which is like to say goodbye to the people, Tara. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for joining us and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Have you got anything you want to plug? I guess for one night only, live streaming again. Yeah. Friday night at nine. Please tune in. But okay, <laughs> let's finish it on a positive note. <laughs> I am part of your regular co hosting team. I am Matt, but if you found us from how do we get here? Then you'll hear them call me Spanky, which I don't think I'm ever going to shake now. So I'm just going to have to lean into it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you for making it to the end. And if this is your first time listening or you're not subscribing yet, then what are you doing? You don't even have to stay subscribed. Just click on it. Like 90% of the stuff I'm subscribed to on YouTube and Spotify. Give us a sympathy push of the button. <laughs> 
Right. And that only leaves me with one more thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. That was a lot of fun. I like that. That was great.